0: Welcome to the Phoenix Preacher podcast. This is podcast number four of the new era in Phoenix Preacher podcasting. And uh, after today, it could very well be the last. But that's all okay, too. Because on page one, we're going to talk about Revoice 2018. Well, what is Revoice 2018? I'm glad you asked. Because if you don't know... God bless you. You haven't been on Twitter or social media watching Christians tear their throats out, each other's throats out rather, over this issue. So let me let me read to you what the conference is about uh, in their own words. So this is about supporting, encouraging and empowering gay, lesbian, same sex attracted and other LGBT Christians so they can flourish while observing the historic Christian doctrine Of marriage and sexuality in other words it's about um, embracing and supporting uh, those in the gay community who are choosing to remain celibate and want to be faithful Christians so I, I guess that's a good thing now there are people that don't think it's a good thing and the reason they don't think it's a good thing is because In their theological construction, if you have been saved, born again, regenerated, however you explain your soteriology, when that happened to you, you became a new creature in Christ Jesus. The former things passed away and all things became new. So those wicked desires that you had should have been mortified by the Holy Spirit. And by the Holy Spirit, you have been enabled and transformed so that you can now live a holy, straight life. So for them, a gay Christian is an oxymoron. No such thing. And the people doing this conference then would be uh, not supporting people who want to be faithful Christians, but supporting people in their sin. And they are going at it on Twitter, the the two sides. Well, where, where do I fall down on this? Where, where, what's my position? I have, I have two things I want to say about this. Number one, I believe that uh, we are all simultaneously Satan center. We're all in process. And we're all part of the result of the fall. We are all broken. And uh, sexuality is part of what was broken in the fall. So how we deal with that um is through spiritual disciplines through receiving the means of grace but we remain saint and center simultaneously until the day we die so on one hand I am I'm, I'm supportive of what these people want to do on the other hand let me say this as loudly and clearly as I possibly can I just don't care I, i'm I'm so tired of this issue that I could spit And and the reason I'm tired of it is because in the world that I live in, the number of people that this affects are few and far between. In my church, the number of people it affects is zero. If you have a larger church, it's going to affect 5 or 10 percent of the people that you deal with. And I don't need to go to a conference. Somebody that is struggling with this sin comes to my church. They can take a seat with people that are struggling with other sins and uh, hear the liturgy, hear the gospel, receive the means of grace, repent of their sins, and walk out forgiven. And we'll see you next week. I don't need to have a conference about this. And it affects such a a small percentage of the people that it's mind boggling to me about the things that we aren't having conferences about. I don't know about where you live, but where I live, we've got a, a major problem with the homeless. We've got people sleeping in the woods. We got people sleeping in the weeds. We got people sleeping in the streets. Don't know about your city, but in my city, we have a problem with um, people uh, who uh, are struggling with mental illness. In my state, they switch mental illness care from uh, the state to the street. So they're not only we not only have a lot of homeless people, we have a lot of mentally ill homeless people which causes, uh, creates another set of problems. We have a tremendous drug problem in this town and that drug problem creates a crime problem. We've got a problem with uh, our kids seem to be killing themselves at a rate never before seen. we've, We've got really big problems and those affect everybody In my church, they affect everybody in your church, but we're not having any damn conventions or conferences about those issues. Now, are we and we're not having them because we are not elites, we are not the theological elites, we are not the um, nationally recognized religious leaders, elites who don't pastor churches they may call themselves pastors but they don't know the name of 10 people in their church in my world this stuff doesn't make any damn difference we 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 don't have to spend a lot of time dealing with um, sexuality issues but everybody in my community is affected by our drug problem Everybody in my community is affected by the homeless problem. Everybody in my community is affected by what's happening to our kids. Nationally, this stuns me every time I think about it. You know, 22 of our veterans die by suicide every day in this country. As I said in uh, another uh, post I'm making on this podcast, we've got the gospel going out. We've got churches on every corner. We have media like nobody's business and the churches are shrinking like cheap garments. I don't have time to worry about these other issues. I don't have the desire to worry about these other issues. I've got my hands full with the stuff that affects all of us. And I'm tired of having a small percentage of the community. Ringing the bell and making me jump and respond to all of these hoops that are being set up. And I'm just not going to do it anymore. So my position is, if you're a sinner and you want to learn about Jesus, by all means, come to my church. I don't really care what your sin is, because we've all got them. If you want to come to church and have me affirm your sin, go somewhere else because I'm not going to do that. And you know, one of the interesting things to me is, is if someone wants to make a real issue out of this, there are churches that do not believe that uh, homosexual behavior is a sin. And you would think they would be full of homosexuals rejoicing in the fact that they have found a home where they can hear that God loves them and they don't have to change anything. But the reality behind that is that those churches are empty they're going broke, and most of them aren't going to exist in 10 years. That's kind of odd, don't you think? In any case, we've got a lot of other things to be concerned about. A lot of people that need ministered to, a lot of people who either haven't heard or don't understand the good news of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. And... So pardon me if I'm not at your conference this year or next year or the year after, because I'm actually a pastor and I've got actual work to do. We're on to page two. Well, if page one didn't get you picking up your uh, pitchfork and torches, page two might. So I was directed to a website. It's uh, jodywall.com. J-O-D-I-W-A-L-L-E dot com. And it's an open letter to John Ortberg. Now, John Ortberg is one of the people who was associated with Bill Hybels, who uh, was involved in uh, bringing the charges against Bill Hybels that caused Bill Hybels to resign. And I'm not going to speak to all of those charges. But what's interesting about this website What's interesting about this letter is what this woman says to John Ortberg. Now, she was his personal assistant for seven years. And this is how the letter starts. Dear John, my heart has been breaking for the damage done to the kingdom these days. If there has been abuse, I certainly want healing. However, most of what I have been reading seems so twisted from the truth. You and I worked closely together for many years. We were both witty and sarcastic and our private office space allowed us to be comfortably ourselves on a daily basis without any scrutiny. Today, recounting some of the phrases and words used or time spent alone, it might seem inappropriate and salacious. At the time, however, it was just harmless consensual banter between coworkers. I'm unclear how you can accuse Bill of so much wrongdoing when you yourself were involved in some of the same behavior. You know it was in jest, but taken out of the era and situation, things might look different. And then she goes on to enumerate some of the things that went on between her and John Ortberg that if you were to write them up and make an accusation out of them, would indeed seem inappropriate and salacious and have people calling for John Ortberg's head. Her point is, is that in context and in the time that they were going on, these things were neither. And now many years later, Ortberg uh, uses uh, some of the same behaviors that he was engaged in as weapons against his former boss. Now, the question before the house is, does she have a point? And just to make things more difficult for myself, I'm gonna say yes. I work for uh, one of the biggest banks in America. I work for one of the largest cell phone providers in America. And I worked with a lot of women I worked on teams, of uh, men and women together. And I'm going to tell you that a lot of the banter that went on was both inappropriate and salacious. And I might add, at times, hysterically funny. I, I, I have worked with female co-workers who went out of their way to say things so that I would blush, uh, literally that I would run away from, and I didn't take it as harassment, I took it as being part of this team, and this is just one of the ways that people interact when they've known each other for a while, and they've worked long hours together, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and actually, what I'm, I'm going to say is, I think, based on all of the years that I was in the workplace, a lot of this is very normal. And now we are using things that very well could be innocent, as she says. What went on between them, she says, was innocent. Now, it may not have been without sin, in that the language was inappropriate. Uh, there, there were inappropriate things thought and said, but nobody was doing damage to each other in terms of um, personal holiness or the holiness uh, of the families. None of that was intended. And so my concern has been for a while, and and don't forget, I was a pioneer, OK? When I started blogging about abuse issues, I didn't have a lot of company. And I wasn't received as a hero. And those people that worked with me or were around at that time will remember uh, I was anything but a hero. Uh, according to uh, most people, I was an enemy of God because I was pointing out the things that were going on. And so my question before that I have is where do you draw the line between that which is abusive behavior, truly abusive, and that which is Maybe inappropriate, but not abusive at all. The intent isn't abusive. Uh, the last crew I had was raucous. <laughs> That's the only word I can use to describe them. Uh, they were raucous and quite often profane, and they were some of the hardest workers and best people I ever knew. And to this day, many years after we don't work together, they're all still. Uh, friends of mine, and people that I I truly love. But if someone had been there and recorded a half an hour, we'd all be gone. We'd all, I mean, I'd have been defrocked by about 2010. Where do we draw these lines? How do we tell what's abuse and what isn't? Now, in defense of Ortberg, there have been multiple people saying that they were put in situations that made them uncomfortable. And to me, that's the difference. If somebody had been uncomfortable in any of the jobs that I worked on, and as the manager, as the guy in control, the boss, and they came to me and said, this really makes me uncomfortable, we'd put a stop to it immediately. And I would have made sure that they weren't working with people they were uncomfortable with on down the line. So when you have multiple people who are saying that this was uncomfortable, and I I should never have been subjected to it, and because of the position of the person above me, I didn't feel like I was free to say that, then we have have an issue. But I wonder how much of what we hear, I wonder how much of the things that um, are brought out as accusations against people if we put them in context and we put them in the era that they happened, uh, may not have been that at all. May have been harmless. May have, may indeed have been inappropriate and even salacious, but not abusive. Have we become so politically correct that normal interaction between people that have become friends is no longer allowed? I'm not talking about standards for Christian speech. I'm not talking about standards for Christian behavior. I'm just talking on a general basis. And at what point do we become hypocrites? People have talked about the fact that I'm a little too transparent and have been since I started. Well, the reason I'm transparent online is because I know who I am. And I, I don't want people thinking that I'm something that I'm not. I, I am a sinner saved by grace. I, I, I've, I'm not good, but I'm redeemed. And some of these things, I, I really am wondering, how are we parsing them in, in such a way to always cause harm to somebody else? Does everything have to turn into an accusation of abuse when indeed it may have just been badder. I have I I don't know enough about the Hybel situation to make a judgment, nor do I know anything about John Ortberg. But I'm saying this website does bring up some interesting questions that we need to deal with. And we're on to page three. On page three, I have a question, but I don't have an answer for it neither do you but maybe as a community we can come up with some good ideas we have i believe four or five christian radio stations here in the rogue valley we have at least three christian television stations available here in the rogue valley we have churches almost literally on every corner But those churches aren't growing. And after a couple of years, I see them start. And I often see them go away. With all the money that we're spending on media. Is it reaching anybody? Is it doing any good at all? Where's the disconnect between the multitudes of millions of dollars we spend on Christian radio and television shows, uh, radio time, TV time? Where's, where's the disconnect between those millions and the fact that the church is shrinking? When I talk to pastors, they, they, they're very open about it. Most of their growth is transfer growth. In other words, it came from somebody else. We've got uh, a great tradition here in the Rug Valley, and I, I've been told it, it's in other places as well. Because there's like eight or nine Calvary chapels in this uh, valley, which is about 35 miles long. And so what happens is somebody starts at one end of the valley, and they're they're in this church for a while, and then they get mad, and then they go on to the next one and they're there for a while and they get mad and they go on to the next one. And if you wait long enough, they show up back at the one they started at because during uh, the years, everybody's made them mad. And then they just start the cycle again. The church is not growing. I don't see a lot of um, young people. Joining the church, getting excited about the church. I don't see a lot of conversion happening. What's going on? Now, uh, my end times uh, friends will say, well, it's the great apostasy. Great falling away. Well, you got to be in something before you can fall away. Where is the disconnect? Why isn't the message resonating? You know, I I see people get all excited because their pastor has his own uh, radio show or he's on TV or Facebook Live. And a lot of this Facebook stuff they do costs money too, by the way. But the churches aren't growing. Or they grow and then they shrink. Where's the disconnect? Is Is this just the way of the world? Or is it a sign that maybe we are not actually getting the message across? Because I I have a theory. Even if I believed that the gospel wasn't true, I would desperately wish it was. And wishing it was, and wishing that God looked like Jesus would be enough to keep me in the faith despite the fact that I was an unbeliever. The message is that good. Jesus' incarnation, life, death, and resurrection, God coming to suffer with us and then to redeem us is the only religious uh, construction that makes any sense to me whatsoever. It's the only religious construction that brings me any comfort whatsoever. Now, I believe it. I believe it. uh, Just like I I, I believe my own name. But even if I thought maybe it wasn't true, I'd still hang on to it anyway. Because the message is just that good. Why aren't people hearing it? I don't even think I have any theories, but it's something to talk about. Or maybe you disagree with me completely. In any case... I still have that question. We're on to the next page. Page four is going to be short and sweet today. Uh, Chester is demanding attention. And when Chester demands attention, he can drown me out really quickly. Uh, He's he's wanting me to clean his cat box. Uh, My profound thought of the day yesterday was that repentance is like cleaning the cat box if you do it every day you have a lot less stuff to deal with now you know how deep of a person i truly am thank you for listening uh the blogs phoenix preacher preacher PhoenixPreacher.com. i also have to quit because i can't talk anymore Phoenixpreacher.com. we're still there we're under construction thank you for your patience thank you for listening we'll talk to you next week Thank <laughs> you.